0: Uh, yeah, I'm thankful to be here this morning. Thanks for the opportunity to, to be in your class. Um, hey, let's go to 2 um, Corinthians, if you would, please. And I want you to think about a couple of scenarios and, and think about which one kind of better applies to you and to your family. One scenario is you get to the end of the month and you sit down with your finances and all your bills are paid, all your debts are paid, um, you know, you're, you don't, you're not paying on a house, you're not paying on a car, your credit card bill's paid off, you've got extra money sitting in the account, and you have this problem, you're like, okay, I've got extra money, what should I do with this extra money? Okay, so think about that scenario, and then, and then maybe think about your scenario. Like Probably most of you live the way that we live. You get to the end of the month and you say, I'm not really sure where all the money went. Like it should be there, but it's kind of not. And, and I, I, I don't know what happened. I've still got this debt over here and I've still got this problem over here. And, you know, in the first scenario, nothing unexpected happened the whole month. You had no unexpected expenses. And in the second scenario, life is real and you have unexpected things come up, right? Like, beginning of the month, you think, I'm just, this month's going to be great. We're going to save, we're going to get ahead, no extra expenses. And then what happens, you know, the the second day of the month, well, your air conditioner breaks down and then your car breaks down. And then there's all these things that pile up. So the first scenario is would be great, right? It's ideal. We're like, we've got extra money. This is nice. I love it. But knowing that that's not reality, knowing that most of us live kind of in this scenario where we're just kind of week to week, months to month, like getting by. We're going to look at what the Bible says about giving and about kind of a, our attitude towards our money. So let's do this. Let's read second Corinthians chapter eight. We're going to read verses one through nine, and then uh, we'll jump in. So second Corinthians chapter eight, verse one says, moreover, brethren, we do to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality, for to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the sake, excuse me, to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. In so much that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor." that ye through his poverty might be rich. Let's do this. Let's back up a little bit. I want to set up for you the sort of the context of second Corinthians chapter eight. So on your handout, you have a, you have a bit of a timeline there. So this timeline is tracing, you know, Paul's life and his ministry to the Corinthian church and kind of his missionary journey. So you see that in AD around 52 or 53, this is when he, he starts the church in Corinth. Paul's on his second missionary journey. He starts that church. Okay. Then the next year he goes on his third missionary journey and that's when he starts up this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. So this is, this is, this sets the stage for these verses that we're talking about. Paul is traveling around on his, on his third journey. He's encouraging the churches. He's checking in on them, but he's also working on gathering some money because his heart, if you read through the book of Acts, you see this, his heart is for the people in Jerusalem. And what he wants to do is he wants to bring finances to them, And he wants to reach Jerusalem for, with the gospel. Like he is a Jew. That's, that was his, that's who he was. That's how he grew up. He has a heart for those people. So he's trying to get there. So he takes off on this journey in AD 54, collecting money, trying to get to Jerusalem 55 and 56. He spends a couple years in Ephesus, AD 57. He writes first Corinthians later on that same year, he writes second Corinthians. And then the following year is when he gets arrested Uh, when he gets to Jerusalem, he gets arrested and that sets the kind of the very end of the book of acts where he's in court, he's going here, he's appealing to Caesar, he gets to Rome. So that's kind of the beginning of the end. So I just want you to see where we are in the life of Paul. So this book is right there in AD 57. He's on his way to Jerusalem, but he's not there yet. So here's what he tells the church about giving. I've got six things that, that I found, you know, from this passage And there are a hundred. But before we dive into that, I just want you to know too that I think what we can do, we can take the things that God is teaching us in this passage about giving, because it's really, it's this this passage is about money. Um, we can take the things that God's teaching us about giving our money, we can apply it to giving our time, to giving our talents, to giving of ourselves to the Lord. So the first thing, number one, don't allow life circumstances to affect your giving don't allow life circumstances to affect your giving Paul here at the beginning of second of Corinthians chapter eight, he's talking about these churches in Macedonia. And when you think of Macedonia, think back to like acts chapter 16 In acts chapter 16, Paul is, is, is on a journey. He's on a missionary journey and he has a vision. This man from Macedonia shows up to him in a, in a dream and says, come over to Macedonia. We need you here. And so what does Paul do? Paul, Paul obeys and he goes to Macedonia. Well, that's a, that's a region, but specifically he goes to the city of Philippi and that's when the the church in Philippi is founded in like Acts chapter 16. Then he goes to Thessalonica and that church is founded then. So when Paul says, Hey, these churches in Macedonia, that's, that's the group of people that he's talking about. That's the region that he is talking about. So a couple of things about this church in Macedonia, what Paul says here right in verse Two, he says that the Macedonian church, they gave out of deep poverty. They gave out of deep poverty. It doesn't say that these churches were rich. It doesn't say, well, that church that had all this extra money, they gave so much to the mission. No, it says that they gave out of their deep poverty. I'm reminded of a famous story that Jesus tells about, about the widow, right? In Luke chapter 21. Uh, all the people, all the Pharisees and the rich people, they bring their big offerings and they, they put them out and everybody, and they want everybody to see it. And it's impressive. And wow, they're giving so much. And, and there's a widow that comes and she gives her two mites. She just gives her two little pennies. And what is Jesus? What's the testimony about that woman? The testimony is that she gave, she gave more than everybody else. And so when you look at your pocketbook, when you look at your checkbook, when you, does anybody actually have a checkbook? Like, Wow, <laughs> full disclosure I've never once balanced a checkbook in my life. I've never done it. Well, actually, I do it at work like i i'm going a, a, I kind of do accounting for my job and i take I take really good care of the I, I hope I take really good care of the company's finances and at home, if you're like, "Hey, where's your checkbook i I don't know I, I think I have checks. I don't know where they live i I don't know what to do with them. they're just there. But um, when you look at your checkbook, you can't say like, well, I don't have anything, so I can't give. No, no, it's kind of the opposite. It's kind of like when you don't have something, that's when you should give. Because that's, that's what Jesus said, right? That's, that was the, what the church did. The other thing it says here is that the Macedonian churches gave in a great trial of affliction. We don't know necessarily what that trial of affliction was. Maybe there was persecution at the church. When Paul left Thessalonica in, in Acts chapter 16, he was run out of the city. He was kicked out. Maybe they were hostile to Christians there. Maybe that was the affliction. Maybe it was a famine. Maybe they couldn't get food. You know, I don't know what it was. Maybe the great trial of affliction was COVID. covid COVID-15. Like oh-015, or like COVID-0049, or something. I don't know. Maybe, who knows what that was, but they continued to give. So when life's circumstances are difficult, we should continue to give. We cannot let that affect our giving. The other thing it says here is that the Macedonian churches, they gave with an abundance of joy. It says, um, in verse two, it says, "In a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy." They had an abundance of joy to give second Corinthians chapter nine. If you're, if you're, if you're in second Corinthians, look at chapter nine, verse seven says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver. When we give, we should be cheerful about it. We should be happy about it. And maybe you're sitting there saying like, yeah, I want to be happy when I give, but I also want to go to pizza hut and spend my money there. Like, how, how do I do this? How do I change this? What happens here? I think we need to recognize a few things. If, if you want to change your attitude about giving, I think, first of all, we need to change our attitude about spending in general, about money in general, a couple of things we need to realize. Um, God owns everything. Your money's not yours. If you just get that in your head And then you just live with open hands to say, well, this isn't really mine anyways. So God, you can have it. My time. It's not really mine anyways. God, you can have it. My family's not really mine. God, you can have my family. Take it. It's yours. I think we also need to realize we're going to go through the judgment seat of Christ, right? We're going to give an account for how we spend our time for the things that we built. So we spend our physical money building up physical things. All of those physical things at the judgment seat of Christ are going to burn. Let that change the way we feel about money. I think we also need to realize and recognize that money is temporal. Proverbs chapter 23, verses four and five. This is the verse that says that, that, that money, riches, uh, they may, it makes wings and it flies away. Like how many of you feel that? Like, you're just always grasping for a little bit more. Like, oh, I see this potential money coming up. And then you're like, it's gone every time. It just leaves. It just flies away. So the Bible says that's what's going to happen. So it's going to fly away anyways. I might as well push it in the direction of God's mission. I might as well like fly it, you know, to the church's account or fly it to the fatherless or fly it to Israel. Or I, I might as well try to send it those directions. Right. The last thing I think we need to recognize acts chapter 20 verse 35 is when Paul said, Paul quotes Jesus here. And he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's an interesting thing too, because if you read the gospels, Jesus that's not actually recorded in the Gospels, but that was something that Jesus told Paul. Paul knew that like Jesus actually said that because Paul's not a liar, but he, he doesn't say it in the Gospels. It's there in the Gospels, but it's more blessed to give than receive. And I think something we need to remember, too, about this offering, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're not talking about 10%. It's not talking about the tithe. It's not talking about just keeping the church running day to day. This is above and beyond. This is a sacrificial gift. This is something that Paul was asking the church to do beyond their normal giving. It was above and beyond. So, what does the Macedonian church do? The Macedonian church—they allowed this trial of affliction and their poverty—to cause them to abound with liberality. That word liberality—I defined it, I think, there on your handout. This word liberality is, means not self-seeking. It means an openness of heart, revealing itself by generosity. So is your heart, as you look at your heart, is it open? Is it open to giving? Is it open to new opportunities? Is it open to generosity? Number two, let's look at verses three and four giving starts with a willing heart. Number two, giving starts with a willing heart. So this Macedonian church, these churches were able to give beyond their power because they were willing because they had a heart for it. Um, Seven or eight years ago, I had a chance to visit um, a church in Georgia. So does anybody know the name Charles Stanley? Charles Stanley was a theologian, his son, Andy, maybe, you know, Andy, Andy has a church in Alpharetta, Georgia. And when you pull into this church, it's, it's kind of like you're at a shopping mall, like a huge shopping mall. So the parking lot is enormous. They have guys outside with vests on directing traffic, telling you where to park. They have shuttles that take you because the parking lot's so big. You got to park far away. You can jump in a shuttle to get up there. You walk in and it's huge. It's like this big, it looks like a mall. I mean the the kids section, the, the I call it a section. It was like the kids um, universe. It was enormous. Like, yeah. They had all these streets. It looked like you were in a city signs on the wall. I mean, it, it literally looked like you're, they had recreated this city feel inside of their building. This church is incredible. So I, I did a little bit of research. The median household income in that area for a family is $115,000. So why do I say all that? I say all that to say, I would expect a church like that to give a lot. I would expect a church like that to be influential in the world. I would expect a church like that to make a difference. they got 20,000 people that show up on Sundays. When you walk through the parking lot of this church, you don't see, you don't see Fords and Chevys. like You see, you see BMWs. Um, you, see, you see nicer cars than I will ever be able to afford. You're just like, where do these people come from? You expect them to be a giving church, right? You expect that to happen you know, the median household income in Jackson County, Missouri, it's like $55,000. Nobody expects Midtown to be a giving church. If if you would look at the statistics and say, wait, at Midtown, that County, that group of people, that neighborhood, how in the world are they going to make a difference for eternity? Do you know how it's with a willing heart? It's with a willing heart. That's where it starts. That's what it's about. God is going to multiply our resources when we willingly give them, when we hold on to what we have then God can't use that. When we give it to him, God can use it. Do you remember the story of Elijah and the widow in first Kings chapter 17? So this is a great story. So Elijah in first Kings, he's uh, he's at odds with the King. He and King Ahab do not get along. Mainly because Ahab was a wicked King and Elijah was saying like, um, God's going to punish you. Ahab didn't like that. So Ahab kicks him out. Elijah spends uh, part of first Kings living in the wilderness, right? He's living by a brook and the Ravens are bringing him food. So imagine how scarce his life already is. He's living out in the wilderness. Birds have to show up to bring him food every day. And then it says, Oh, and after a while, the brook dried up. Like it's the Bible kind of casually says that like, Oh yeah, he didn't have any water. He's done. So what's God's solution for that? God's like, Elijah, I will take care of you. I love you. You're the man. What's God's solution? After he's living in the wilderness, eating whatever the ravens are bringing him, and maybe the ravens brought him cheeseburgers. I, you know, maybe it was good. I don't know. I imagine it was something more like manna and water. After that, what you'd think God would be like, all right, Elijah, I've got the buffet for you. Like it's ready. We're going to take you to the best place. You're going to get provided for. No, Elijah walks into a village and he's greeted by a widow. And this widow says, and he, so he, Elijah says, excuse me, could you make me some, some bread? And the woman is so poor. She says, I'm going to collect two sticks and uh, I'm going to make up the last of my meal and I'm going to feed it to my son. And then we're both going to die. So Elijah's hungry because, you know, he's been living in the wilderness. He doesn't have any water to drink. God's solution for that is a widow with nothing who's getting ready to die. If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, God, like, what are you doing? This is not good. This does not seem like a solution, right? And the woman, the widow at first was like, "Oh um, Elijah, that's nice that God told you that you should eat the last of my food, but I kind of want it for myself, because you know, I, I want one meal before we die. But what happens? How does God change this woman's heart? It's by the word of the Lord. Elijah comes in and he says, "Thus saith the Lord God of Israel." So if you're thinking, how do I change my attitude about giving? How do I want to give with a joyful heart? I want to get involved in the mission that God has for my life in the mission of MBT. I want to get involved with the fatherless ministry. I want to get it. What I want to get involved, but I don't have a heart for it. I I would recommend spending some time with the Lord. I would recommend learning. Thus saith the Lord. What does God say about it? When when you know what God says about it, it's going to change your heart. It's going to change the way you feel. There's so many promises. I I think we have this hesitation to give because we're fearful. Because we say, I just have a little and I want to hold on to it. Most months, we feel like the widow who says, I only have a little bit. And if I give it away, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to provide? How am I going to save for college? How am I going to retire one day? And God says, I will take care of you. Thus saith the Lord. Let's get in the word. Let's figure out what God says. What promises of God do we need to claim so that we can be cheerful givers? Verse four. In verse four of 2 Corinthians chapter eight, we see that the church in Macedonia is gathering the money and then they're entreating Paul and his crew to take it. And this is amazing. What, what happens here is people in these churches are giving money and then They become a part of this fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Isn't that amazing? Like maybe you will never adopt someone. Maybe you will never be a foster parent. Maybe you will never go rescue um, someone in Nepal from sex trafficking. But when you give your money to love justice, guess what you just did? You just became a part of the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You just became a part of something bigger than you, something bigger than your life. You know, when you give, that's what you do. When you keep your money for yourself, you, you're going you're gonna to be a part of the ministering to yourself fellowship, not a part of the ministering to the saints fellowship. In Luke chapter five, this is where we see, we don't see the word fellowship, but we see fellowship. What happens in Luke chapter five? There's such a big Harvest of fish that the one boat they can't bring it in. They're like the nets are breaking. What are we gonna do? What do they do? They call for a fellow ship to come and help them bring it all in. There are ministries. There are missions. There are projects all over the city, all over your life, all over the world that have so many fish they can't bring them in on their own. They need each of you. They need each of us to join with them, to bring those in. And sometimes that means giving some money. And sometimes that means giving some time. And sometimes that means a phone call. And sometimes that means prayer. There's lots of different things that that means. You know that every time you contribute your money to a group, to a cause, to a company, you're really kind of pledging your your allegiance and your fellowship to that group. So let's think about our bank statements for a minute. And let's think about which groups we support. I support a Christian group that gives money to the or that gives food to the hungry. It's called Chick-fil-A. I stole that joke and it wasn't very good. <laughs> How many of you support Verizon? How many of us support Sprint? How many of us support Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and MediaCom? How many of us support Starbucks? How many of us support Coca-Cola, McDonald's? How many of us want to support, you know, raising canes after church? Cause you're like, their chicken is good. I'm going to go support that work. Now we don't think of it that way. Cause we think I'm just getting lunch. or I'm just getting a coffee or these are the things that my family needs. Like we got to have a new car. I gotta, I gotta have a new car, but look at your finances and say, well, okay, by the way I'm spending my money, I'm actually supporting this. I'm actually supporting the Ford company. Um, we are big supporters of Amazon. I don't, I don't know if, if any of the rest of you are. I think I've personally contributed to Jeff Bezos' wealth. Like I, I don't even get it. I, that guy. And here's my problem with, with Amazon, among other things. <laughs> before COVID, like eight years before COVID, we were Amazon Prime members. And then everybody jumped on the bandwagon. And you know what happened? I used to get toilet paper delivered to my house once a month. And then and I'm a prime member for, for years. And then all of a sudden COVID happens and everybody else gets my toilet paper. I'm not, I'm not okay with that. Like why, why does that happen? You know, some of us are going to be challenged to give up a career. You might be challenged to go to the mission field. Um, maybe, maybe you're the one that needs to move to Dallas or Boston. Maybe, maybe you love the mountains and cold weather and you want to move to Laramie. Maybe you're going to be called to, to take a demotion at work so that you can spend more time doing ministry. So you can spend more time ministering to your family. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're going to be called to, to not take that extra time at work so that you can study in LFBI. So you can get prepared to do the work that God has for you. Some of you are going to be moved by this. By, by causes, right? By groups, love, justice, compassion, international, maybe a missionary comes at mission focus and your heart is burdened for the work that that man and his family are doing somewhere in the world. And you think that is amazing. I want to be a part of that work. And you know, what's going to hold you back from financially supporting those people. It's the way that you have your finances set up right now. If you're living in that way that says, I don't have any extra. I spend every dime that I get. It's all gone. It's like my kids, they get $3 and they spend four. It's like immediately, they just want to spend It's like burning a hole in their pocket. But what is going to prevent you from getting involved in the ministry? What if at mission focus this year, someone comes and says, we need help in Malawi. I need two families that are going to move to Malawi and you say, God, I want to do that. God, you've burdened my heart for that. And you got $80,000 in student debt. You've got $40,000 in credit card debt. What missions organization is going to send you anywhere? None of them. It's not going to happen. I'm fortunate to work for a company that um, we send people on short-term missions, medical missions trips all over the world. And sometimes we get people that, that go on these trips and they say, I really feel burdened to give my life to that place, to give my life to that cause. And do you know what's holding them back? Most of the time, one of the things that's holding them back is money. It's finances. They haven't set themselves up so that they can be generous. They haven't set themselves up so that they can leave it all behind and go. They still got five years. We were talking with a woman. Um, so my company has a, we have a partner hospital in China and we were talking with a woman that we wanted her. So this woman is incredibly qualified. She, so she, she was born in China. She was educated in the U S and in Canada. She has four or five degrees. She has a master's degree in education. She, she's a nurse in, she's a certified nurse in England and the U S and China and Canada and maybe somewhere else. She's fluent, bilingual, two languages, super qualified. So our, what we want to do is we wanted to, we were talking with her about getting her on the mission field. We want to send you back to China to reach your people. Because you can't just be a missionary in China, but if you're a native Chinese person with great skills, you can go to China and minister to people. You can get a job there and you can minister. And you know what her holdup was? She wanted to know how much she was going to get paid. She wanted to know, how am I going to pay off my debt? I've done all this education. How am I going to pay off my debt? She had not put herself in a position where she could just say yes to God and be used. Let's not put ourselves in those positions. Number three, number three, 2 Corinthians 8, this is kind of in verse five. We need to give ourselves, give yourself to the Lord first. Give yourself to the Lord first. So in verse five, it says, in the middle, it says, first, they gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You notice what happens first is they give themselves to the Lord. So first, give your heart to God. Second, that's when you'll start giving to God's work. If God has your heart, he's going to have your pocketbook. If God has your heart, he's going to have your time. If God has your heart, he's going to have your family. In same chapter, look over at verse 16 says but thanks be to God which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Right. How did Titus get the same burden? How did Titus get a burden for this for these churches? God put that burden there. Maybe you feel like I don't know how to give, I don't know what to give. I don't I don't have a burden. I don't start asking God for a burden. Start spending time with the Lord and he's going to show you because Let's be honest. We saw in the announcements, there's a lot of ways to give our time and money. Go to any other fellowship this morning, go to main service. There are a lot of ways to spend your time and money that all are involved in the mission that are all good things that are all going to further God's kingdom. It's really difficult to know. How do I give? Where do I give? Like, My pockets are a little kind of empty. I want to give to all of them. But if I do that, I'm giving, you know, a quarter to everybody. How do I let God give you that burden? First, we give, we give ourselves to the Lord. And I think what that looks like, and nobody, you know, I'm not a salesman for the church, but I think what this looks like, give yourself to the Lord. You give your heart to your, to the Lord, but, but you also support the church on a regular basis. You give of your money to the Lord, you give of your money to the church. And then God's going to burden you for something, for, for another cause. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4 says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Start delighting in God to know what he wants from you, to get those right desires. You ever seen a couple? Um, maybe they're married, maybe they're just dating. And you look at them, and from the outside, it really looks like, it kind of looks like they're mismatched. You're like maybe maybe you look at the at the woman and you're like okay she seems to have her life together she's uh she's attractive she's got a job whatever she's accomplished and then you look at the guy and you're like how did he end up with her you've you've seen these couples right and sometimes it works the other way we're like all right how did this guy well usually what happens in that scenario this this woman whoever she is how how does he How does this guy end up with her? It's usually because he delights in her so much. He just delights. Like he just bends over backwards to love her, to spend time with her, to get to know her. And when I think about my relationship with the Lord, I think it's the same. Like, okay, here's God and here's me. How does God end up with someone like me? Well, I I need to delight myself in him. I need to spend time with him like one he loves me and delights in me but i should be like like that that guy who maybe doesn't belong with that girl but he's like a puppy dog he's in love and he's just groveling at her feet that's how i need to be with the lord and guess what now our relationship's going to be good and this guy who doesn't you know on paper doesn't kind of deserve to be with this woman he's 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 got a great relationship they have a great marriage they have a great family that's how it can be with the lord but we have to give our hearts to him first Number four, number four, we should abound in our giving verse seven. It says, therefore, as ye abound in everything, so we should abound. So think about the history of the church in Corinth. If you've read, go back and read first Corinthians. And in every chapter, Paul is like, he's just disciplining them. He's like, you were wrong about this. You're wrong about this. There's division, there's strife. Um, you're not doing you're not doing communion right. You're coming to eat meals instead of actually take communion. Um, there's this fornication issue that's really messy, and you're not handling it right. I mean, he's just like over and over and over again. And what happens? We get to Second Corinthians, and in verse eight or verse seven, he's like, "You're abounding in everything: faith, utterance, knowledge, diligence, love." How is a church that was so messed up earlier in the year? come to a place where, where Paul says you're abounding. They had responded well to God's word. Apparently they had responded well to, to what Paul told them in first Corinthians and what God told them through Paul. So I just want to say, maybe you're like, you know, this, what's, who's this guy standing up here, rebuking me about how I spend my money and telling me I can't go to McDonald's and shouldn't drink Starbucks. And I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is maybe you feel like you're in a spot where you, where you don't have your finances in order. And that, that's just because that's what we're talking about today. That's where the passage is. Maybe you feel like, I could never be ready to be used by God because I've got all this debt or I've got all these problems or I've got this sin in my life or there's this difficulty. Maybe that's how you feel. But I just tell you this, from 1 Corinthians to Second Corinthians, not much time went by between the writing of those. You saw the timeline. Paul wrote those letters in the same year. How does the church change drastically in one year? They responded to the word of God. How can you train? How can you change and get yourself in position to be used by God? Even in a short amount of time, start responding to his word, start taking little steps of obedience. We should abound. So, okay. So how do we get to a place where we're, we feel like we're just giving a little to where we can abound in our giving Proverbs chapter 28, verse 20. It's on your paper. It says a faithful man shall abound with blessings but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Be faithful. You want to learn to abound? You want to be able to abound in your giving? Be faithful. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it's on the next page in your Bible. says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. If you are not abounding in good works, if you are not abounding in giving, if you if you don't feel like you're living um, a bountifully you know abundant life, that is not god's fault. It's your fault It's life's fault it's it's not life fellowship they're good people it's It's life, right it's it's the devil, it's the choices we make, it's the world, it's sin it's tempt- it's all of these things. It's not God. God clearly says, I've given you everything you need to abound. And listen, this, I'm not live your best life. Joel Osteen, Oprah Winfrey. I, that's not what I'm saying. I, I don't think the prosperity gospel, I don't think that's biblical. Um, so we, we're not going to go there, but if you want to be able to abound, because I think giving is in its clear in second, it's always relative, right? It's not like we all have to give the same amount. It's not like we're all going to be rich, but we give based on what we have. We give based on what God has given us. So that's what this is about. You have enough, you know, God's, God's done his part. When are you going to do yours? Two more points. We'll go through these quick. Number five, giving proves the sincerity of your love in verse eight. Paul says, you know, I, I what I'm doing is I'm, he says, this is going to prove the sincerity of your love at the end of verse eight. Um, I want to turn and read to turn and look at one passage in the book of James, James chapter two, verses 15 and 16. Just go there real quick because this explains um, really well what Paul's saying here. Second or sorry, James chapter two, verse 15 says if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled notwithstanding you give them not those things, which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Like somebody should give that guy a shirt. He looks cold. Somebody should give that guy a meal. He looks hungry. Uh, No, you should give him a shirt. You should give him a meal. Like, don't tell me that you care for the poor. If you're not giving to the poor. Oh, I'm so brokenhearted for the orphans. Okay, if you're broken hearted for orphans, come to the respite night. If you're broken hearted for uh, victims of sex trafficking, write a check to love justice. If you're broken hearted for fill in the blank, prove it. Put your money where your mouth is. It's going to show the sincerity of your love. You know, there's that saying that's, and it's a cute saying, we use it for like, like when you give a bad gift to somebody, we always say, well, it's the thought that counts. Um, or like your kids go to the secret Santa shop at school and they buy you. I mean, it's thoughtful, but it, I mean, let's be honest. It's kind of junk, right? We say it's the thought that counts. And at least they did something. But I think if, if we just say, well, I'm, I'm thinking about that group. I'm thinking about those people. I'm thinking about the loss. You know, I'm even thinking about taking a missions trip next year. I'm thinking about getting going to Dallas on one of the two by twos. And you can think about it all day. Like put your money where your mouth is, support it, do it, act on it. Number six. We must become poor so that others can be rich. In verse 9, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, it explains how Christ was rich. He gave up those riches to be poor so that we could be rich. And I think that until we get to heaven, we will never have an understanding of what Jesus really gave up. Like it's easy, it's easy for us to be like, what a sacrifice Jesus made. And it's true. Like It's true in Philippians, you know, we see it, you know, he said, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Like Jesus was right there with God. But what does it say? He humbled himself, became a servant, became a man. I realized that was a big sacrifice, but I've never been to heaven. Like I don't know what kind of a sacrifice that actually was not to mention the sacrifice of the broken relationship. When, when Jesus is on the cross and Paul and, and, and God has to turn his back on him we don't understand that sacrifice. That's, that's, that's just beyond us. We get little glimpses of this, right? Uh, We see in Hebrews, it talks about how Moses, how Moses gave up Pharaoh's court and Pharaoh's court, you know, Moses could have stayed there and lived a pretty good life. I picture Pharaoh's court, like people with the big palm branches doing the fanning thing and there's silk and like good food. And I mean, Moses could have had a good life, right? So he gave that up to be with God's people, to lead God's people out of captivity. So that's, I mean, that's a good example, right? We even see Paul who says, you know, I was a Pharisee. I was a Jew. I was educated. I was, I was up here in society. I gave that up to become a Christian. I gave that up to follow the Lord. So we see little glimpses, but we really can't understand what that was like, what Jesus' sacrifice was really like. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. As Christians, we have unspeakable riches in the gospel. We have unspeakable riches in God's word. We have the unspeakable riches of the promise of eternal life. And there is a world full full of spiritually poor people. And the only way those spiritually poor people are going to become rich is if we become poor. Poor in our money. Poor in our time. Poor, poor in our resources. Poor in, you know, the the way that we live our life. Like we, we have to become poor. We have to not serve ourselves. So, since the beginning of the message, it's it's not likely that your financial situation changed. Um, I saw that the 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 six hundred million dollar power bill, like Powerball lottery the winning numbers came out. I don't know if you guys saw that. If you buy lottery tickets, I mean, you shouldn't because the Bible says not to, but for 600 million, I mean, you could do a lot for the kingdom, right? So, but I'm guessing that none of you had those winning, t- that winning ticket. So your, your, your financial situation hasn't changed, but I pray that through what God's word says about giving, maybe your heart attitude towards your money, has changed. And maybe you'll be able to put yourself in a position where you can get involved in God's mission with your pocketbook, with your time, with your talents. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Um, God, I'm thankful that I don't, we don't have to invent things to teach. We don't have to invent ways to live. God, you give it all to us. Um, it's right here in your word. And so I'm praying that you would give us soft hearts, give us, um, new attitudes about giving new attitudes about being involved in the mission. Um, God, I pray that you would cause our lives, um, and and the giving of our lives. I pray that you would allow that to abound. Um, I pray that you would teach us to become poor so that others can become rich. Um, I pray that you teach us to become poor so that your kingdom can be edified so that your kingdom can grow so that your work can multiply here and all over the world. So, um, Your word is awesome. God, thank you for, thank you for becoming poor for us. We can't imagine what you gave up so that you could, so that you could reach us and uh, help us to live in an attitude of, of thankfulness for that in Jesus name. Amen.